0: You're listening to episode 112 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives.
1: Unfortunately, this week, Kale isn't here. He's at a steampunk convention living his best years, you know, back when he was like 20 or something.
2: (laughs) Oh, I was going to say, I thought that was like his mid to late 30s, because I feel like whenever he goes oh, and right, does right. uh, Confederate reenactments, that was his 20s. Yes.
1: Yes. Thank you for the correction. You're
2: totally right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's a that's a decent joke, but uh, steampunk is not an actual time that ever existed. Right? All right, then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then well Looking my, the my mind there.
2: to part the kimono i realized as soon as i said that the confederacy was older i was like isn't steampunk supposed to be like victorian that would be like way <laughs> older but it also definitely didn't happen so right
0: <laughs> so uh we've got quite a show for you guys uh into the spider-verse has released, Woo! and uh, we've seen it, and we have thoughts. Uh, we're not going to be talking about that on this episode proper, but when this episode ends, you can jump over, because we do have a separate uh, piece of audio for you guys uh, that is the review of Into the Spider-Verse, so you can check that out. You're going to want to hear it, because uh, it's an interesting movie, and I, th- I think we're going to have some some fun things to say about it. Uh, other than yeah. that, let's take care of some business. As usual, I'll let you guys know where you can find us. We are the Comics Pals all over the place, including SoundCloud, including Apple Podcasts. Uh, on social media, you can catch us at The Comics Pals. You can write to us at pals at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you're checking this out on YouTube, thank you very much. Uh, make sure to leave us a like, drop us a comment, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. All those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. So, be a pal and help us. Uh, now, <clears throat> we've got a piece of listener mail that we're going to jump into in, uh, here in a moment. Uh, it is from our good buddy, Matt Murphy, who, after we deal with his mail, I have a personal message for Matt Murphy. Oh, so boy. P- You can take it away, and I'll get to my personal message after we respond to the man's mail.
2: Okay. So we got this from Matt this week in our inbox, uh, and I am going to preface this with the fact that he asks, "Hey, RANDOM QUESTION OF THE week." There it is. There you go. So Matt Murphy writes in and says, Hey, pals, what comics were on your very first pull list? For me, it was in 2007 with Hulk, The Darkness, Cable, ASM, Amazing Spider-Man, Uncanny X-Men, Batman, and new and mighty Avengers. I started during the Morrison Batman and Bendis Avengers peak, and I feel like that's influenced what I take in ever since. Sincerely, Matthew Cloaca Murphy.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> Just jumping in, uh, my like one of the, my first pulls was Saga. Um, it's when I first like started going into like weekly comics. Um, so Saga definitely back in 2012. Um, the New Fifty Two stuff had come out, so I had was in the middle of uh, following Swamp Thing as well. And I also had a bunch of like image stuff. So Planetoid was coming out. Um, I'm trying to remember else. Uh, it was, it was light because obviously I wasn't reading as much. So, but from there, it just kind of like continued to grow. So like those were like my big three, uh, I think comics that I, I followed. Uh, Saga, Swamp Thing and uh, Planetoid.
2: So I'm going to show how fucking edgy I was as a teenager, which surprising no one, I think we all could assume. Uh, but I had to look this up to make sure that the timeline was right. So my original pull list was, uh, I think this story is well-worn, and I-, I told it on our origin story episode, but I got back into comics when I discovered Ultimate Spider-Man, and I picked up like the first trade volume and then read the rest of it digitally um, by pirating stuff. And... Uh, then I also read Ultimate X-Men, so then when I was caught up with all those, I decided I wanted to start going to the shop and, uh, and start picking up books monthly, and uh, so I, I picked up those two, Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate X-Men, but then I also started reading uh, Deadpool, Merc with a Mouth, and uh, I believe it had already been in progress at this point, but I want to say I, I started picking up Kick-Ass at that first trip as well.
0: Huh. Awesome.
2: Um, and it, I think it, it like had already been out, and I was picking up like back issues, but i I actually collected the original six like when I was sixteen, um because I was super into that series at the time. I think it's really funny, like when Marco started reading his pull list, it's like this is very representative of Marco's taste now, right? yeah, and mine are like very representative of my taste when I was sixteen <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was a I think it was like a sophomore in college, so like it was
2: that makes sense, yeah, okay.
1: it like you, you, I, I sort of like knew what I kind of wanted. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in terms of like the sci-fi stuff at least.
2: Yeah, when I was a sophomore in college, that was like that was around the time I really started getting into Image actually, so we're probably picking that stuff up around the same time.
1: Like the the renaissance around there happened, like the early 2010s. Yeah, it yeah. was like
2: 2013 I want to say, 2014 was when I they really started like hopping on my radar.
1: Mm.
0: It's
2: like between Walking Dead coming out and becoming like a big deal all of a sudden and then Saga. Like that was really like my inroad there.
0: So, a pull list is an interesting term uh, just because of when I started reading comics. So, when I s- started reading comics, I didn't actually start with a pull list. and I didn't start by going to a store. I started by mail ordering my comics.
2: Damn, oh. old school.
0: Yeah. through That's like through old Marvel. school
2: Midwest shit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, back then, Marvel still did the mail-order stuff, so I, I first mail-ordered Ultimate Spider-Man, and I ordered um, uh, uh, X-Men, Ultimate X-Men. So, Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. So those were the first two books that I really picked up, and I actually started with um, Ultimate Spider-Man... No, number like 7 number 60 something uh it was the it was the issue with Johnny Storm and Spider-Man on the cover together
2: Okay yeah uh, I remember that one
0: Yeah so that was my first issue there and then pull list wise it's so hard to say I really don't remember when I first started consistently picking up books but Matt you and I are from the same era all the books that you mentioned being on your first pull list were on mine as well like i was pulling those same books at the same time but uh in 2007 i was already i'd already been reading comics for a couple years so um i really can't remember what was on my very first pull list but uh, all those books that you mentioned uh definitely plus like you said batman um uh shoot what else yeah, I all that. Just that stuff. That that was that was my jam.
2: Yeah, subtract out all the DC stuff, and that's what I was reading at that time too, for the most <laughs> part. But you know yeah. what actually I did too, Sean, and you made me think about this. I actually forgot. A lot of the comics I read at that point from the Marvel era, uh, I was getting from my local library. Cause they had wow. a really, really, really robust comic section, and they had like a good mixture of classic trades. And then, like, modern stuff. So, like, the first time I ever read, like, Dave, uh, David Michelin's Spider-Man stuff was from a trade I, I pulled from the library. And then they had, like, um, you know, that, that, that collection of, of stories that they did after Cap got shot in Civil War, like Fallen Sun. Yeah. Like, I picked up that at the library, like, all that stuff. Awesome, and that was like before I was going to a regular comic shop.
0: Yeah, I used to buy like random issues of things that were just like not necessarily up my alley. I remember I bought like random issues of House of M, but I didn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah, you're just like, oh, this looks cool. (laughs) Yeah, Phoenix and Song was huge for me because I was such a massive Phoenix fan. fan. Oh, sure, whatever. (laughs) She was dead, so being able to pick those up. That first cover is one of my favorite, it might be my favorite comic book cover of all time. I'm obsessed with that cover. It was my um, computer um, desktop screen or whatever, desktop image for years and years and years. Man, Matt, this question is taking me back right now.
2: I hadn't thought about, about about getting comics at the library in years. Well, and the funny thing is, right, like thinking back on this, Sean, since you and I were so young, like... It probably would have been easier for you to get to a shop since you're in the city. But, like, I couldn't drive.
0: Right. Uh. Uh,
2: The only way I was getting to a comic book store was if I could convince my dad to take me or if I could rope one of my older friends into going. And at the time, all of my friends who were older than me, like, of them, only one of them read comics and he didn't have a car. Uh. So it's like – and, like, I had to – I literally got my friend who I used to drive around with into comics because I was like, dude – like I I need I need somebody to take me to the store. <laughs> so I was like you need to read comics.
0: So I, I pulled up, I typed in Marvel Comics two thousand five, and I found that Marvel actually has a database that they keep on their website, uh which is just kind of a uh, well, is it on their website? It's wikia.com. dot com. Okay, cool. Oh the uh, oh, no, the, the wiki yeah, is something else. The, yeah, that's wiki. Okay, then.
1: But but Marvel does have its own backlog of stuff. Like
0: Well, this is a unofficial Marvel Universe reading order for the year 2005. Whoa. And so it's got nice. every comic that was released that year in the exact reading order that you should, you know, if you want to, for some reason, go exactly in the, the proper order they've got it here. That's cool. Was, yeah, super, super cool. Uh, so thank you for your question, Matt. B- took me down memory lane. Uh, I hadn't thought about a lot of that in a little bit here, so thank you. But as I said, you and I have business. Watch it, he looks fired up here. You put out a challenge on a recent episode of the Long Box Podcast. Oh no, uh,
2: look at this. he knows what's coming. Uh,
0: it was a challenge to me primarily, uh, well us, but Matt put out a specific challenge towards me saying that he could beat me in Smash Brothers. Oh, Matthew. You sweet summer child. Now, I have to tell you, I, I, I really enjoy being challenged uh, because it, it, it brings out the best in me, <laughs> and I, I, I'm not sure that you're ready for the best in me, but we're going to put you to the test. So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying, let's set a date. Let's Let's say, how about we say this? How about we say two weeks? How about we say two weeks from now, you and I, we we'll get on Smash, we can have some people uh, watch, we can have Tyler, and we can have some Comics Pals representation as well, so we'll do that, we can even invite some fans, and we can put on a show, and we can have some kind of bet, I don't know, I haven't thought about the terms quite yet, but I'll think them over, and if you accept the challenge, then we can we can set the bet, you can say what will happen if you win, And I'll tell you what will happen if I win. And I want you, Matt, I want you to be drunk. Because Tyler says that you play your best when you're drunk. And I definitely want you at your best. Because when I beat you, when I beat you, I want it to be understood that I am superior. A challenger is approaching, and I am happy to accept. And I'll tell you this, he's going to get his ass in Pittsburgh. By who? By Kurt Angle! By Kurt Angle! Angle. Get out of your ass. The number one contender, Mr. Sean Bartley! You let me know what you want to do, Matt, and I'll see you in the ring. Alright, so let's do some pals pulls. For Marco, we've got Doom Patrol, Volume 2. Yes,
1: I have been eagerly awaiting this book. Uh, I think it's the last thing that Young Animals is going to be putting out, Uh, so I'm hungry for this. I've been waiting for it. I have everything else except for Eternity girl and so i'm looking forward to reading this and uh the subsequent milk war sort of crossover i'm excited i i I need to finish this series it's been really really good and gerard way has been super wacky darrington's art and his covers have been sick it's it's a good series
0: awesome very very cool uh and also you chose betty and veronica number one
1: so Something happened with Archie, and I like the numbering got all weird. They went to like this anniversary edition, so it went from like thirty four to six hundred or something, and I could have lost track of where I needed to be. Uh, so I still want Archie stuff, and this is a new series that uh, with Betty and Veronica, and those are really strong characters in the Mark Wade stuff that, uh, at least in the the Archie run, and so I want more of. Uh, I want more of that. Let me know how it is. Yeah, I mean Archie's been phenomenal, so.
2: Yeah, I got to pick that back up. I really enjoyed what I did read of it, but I just like kind of fell out after I think I got through the second volume. Mm. So,
0: uh, Pete, I didn't get a poll from you this week.
2: There's not really much that was uh, you know tickling my fancy, but I will say out this week that I am really excited to talk about, and we're going to talk about in our, um, our main topic, is Fearscape number three. That's, that, that's yes. really the book that's catching my eye.
0: Happy to be able to talk about that, finally.
1: Yeah, me too. And if you guys want to catch up on our other Fearscape Reviews, number two, you can catch uh, the Comics Pal's 106 and Fearscape Review number one on episode 99.
2: Look at this fucking guy. Oh, He's oh. got the links ready to go, man.
0: I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> so uh, before I get to my polls, I, I've i been looking here at the, the 2005 year of Marvel, and I find um, that in 2005... Marvel released the X-Men Fantastic Four crossover series. Now, the reason why that's interesting is because of the writer. Pete, do you want to take a guess as to who wrote this crossover? Can I guess? Mm Mm-mm.
2: You're you're asking me, so it must be a loaded question. Like It's it's (laughs) got to be somebody I really like or somebody I really don't like. Was it it Dan Slott?
0: No. I'll give you a hint. It speaks to your expertise. Is it Robert Kirkman? (laughs) No.
2: (laughs) Is it? Oh, 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 no, I get it now. I get it. I get it. (laughs) It was a Kiri wasn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It sure was. (laughs) Oh, Oh, my God, I walked right
2: into that trap. (laughs) (laughs) I think
0: I own this. I think I might own this. I got to check because... uh, I recall that series.
2: Dude, if you actually own like a single copy of that, I bet those will be worth a lot of money at some point.
0: Maybe. Uh, so for me, I chose American Carnage number two. This is the mm. series being written by Brian Edward Hill. It's very good. The first issue, uh, Wait, I my read socks it. off. Oh, I won't. No, okay, no spoilers. Okay. okay. Um, It's very uh, intense. It goes there. Cool. It goes there. It does things that I wasn't expecting. um, And uh, very pleasantly surprised. I expected good things. It does better things. Nice. And so I can't wait for the second issue. Very, very excited. And then I also chose Captain America number six. We haven't talked about this book since we reviewed the first one uh, way back when. And it is. So, so, so good uh Hesse Coates and um and uh Linnell, you are killing it on this book. I love the direction that it's going. it's taking Captain America places that we haven't seen before, and this is so exactly what I was hoping for post-Secret Empire, I really, you know, all due respect, but I really didn't need that Mark Wade buffer that we got. I wanted to go straight into this meat, uh, exploring the world post-Secret Empire and how Captain America fits into it, and that power vacuum that Hydra left behind, who fills it, and this story goes into that. So very, very pleased with what this book has been so far.
2: That's awesome, man. I, I definitely want to pick that one back up because that first issue really wowed me. You know, I just – I remember, like, I found it to be – just the scripting was really, really good. you know, like, obviously the art is great and everything, but, like, for a first issue, oftentimes, like, it feels like we're just laying groundwork. And I felt like there was a lot of the – um, just a lot of the dialogue was so strong just on its own that I was like, ah, I just – I got to read more from Coates because – His Black Panther was great, and I always think, man, I should probably read the rest of that, and, like, I really enjoyed what I got, the taste I got of Captain America, so I'm glad you're still following it and reminded me that I need to go check it out.
0: I'll say this. The last issue, final page, made me gasp audibly.
2: Nice. Wow, really?
0: Yeah. So
2: Cool. And that's number five?
0: Yep. That's a book that's going places. And you can check that out on episode eighty nine, ooh, the Mar- Dude, Marco,
1: Marco, the editor, man, <laughs> Marco, the stat boy.
0: If this were a comic book, whenever uh, I, you know, one of us says a book or whatever, oh, the little Marco, yeah, yeah, yeah. the asterisk, editors, <laughs> the editors, <yeah>. note. <laughs> the editor's <laughs> note. Yep, I love it. All right, so let's jump into the news. Uh, Aquaman is releasing next week, and we will have a review for that.
2: Um it's fucking years getting away from me, man. No
0: kidding. Um uh, but the but some people have seen it. The Rotten Tomatoes score mm-hmm. is actually in, and uh currently it's got a 71%. Ooh. All right. It's not, okay. not terrible. No. Um For a
2: DC movie yeah, pretty good. Yeah, for a DC movie yeah.
0: solid B. Now you know, we have that reaction, but uh, this is actually the second highest rated DC film from the DC, you know, FU. FU. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what um, up, boys? <laughs> well- <laughs> <laughs> so Wonder Woman obviously is tops at 93%. Uh, Justice League is sitting very comfy at 40%. <laughs> uh, Suicide Squad's at 27%, tied with Batman versus Superman.
2: That seems harsh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and And Man of Steel's rounding it out at 56%. Mm. Uh, so that seems high ah uh, please <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you I- I'd sooner flip Wonder Woman and Man of Steel than say okay. that Man of Steel mm-hmm. is too high
1: mm-hmm. well we can't always
2: be
0: right hey listen uh, that's
2: that's I gotta remember that one for episode two hundred. Write that down, Marco. You do that.
0: <laughs> note. Mind you, if we're gonna if we're gonna be if we're gonna be honest about ourselves here, keep in mind that what I said was I would sooner flip them than say that man of steel should be lower. So I didn't say that man but of steel is ninety three percent.
2: That's fair. Uh,
0: <laughs> so the reviews aren't all the way positive. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of movies come out this year. A lot of superhero movies come out this year out the gate with far better scores than that. But Alpha Man is currently dominating at the box office. Uh, Chinese audiences are over the moon about this movie. And it had a record-breaking box office opening day and weekend. Uh, so it's already made ninety four million dollars. Whoa! Oof! Over there. Um, That's solid. Yeah, it's the biggest Chinese opening for any WB DC film in history.
2: So what's the deal? Did he did this open last week in China or this week?
0: Last week, I believe. Uh, so in four days, it actually actually made hundred and seven million dollars, uh, which is more. This is insane. This is, it's more than Justice League made in its whole run.
1: Damn. Oh my god. What? Yeah.
2: Holy shit. Are you kidding me?
1: Yep. That's insane.
2: That's crazy. What about, what about this movie? That's so interesting. What about this movie is so, like, so different?
0: I really don't know. Uh, I think the, the, first of all, to me, I think. The fact that it takes place underwater is very different, and I think that's, that's attractive. I also think that the colors, like look at Mara's hair, that deep red, like it pops out. Yeah, everything about this movie has oh, pop. God. Uh, whereas Justice League was very dreary, I felt. Um, I, I I could see, you know, and, and I'm no expert on the East. I should really leave it to you to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any even insight? I, even I'm stumped,
1: well, Sean. Sure. <laughs>
2: that's you know like well if
1: the expert doesn't know then we're at a loss here you're right i don't know
0: all right well yeah aquaman doing really well uh what's your excitement level at for this one
2: I uh, i gotta be honest like it, none and that's not because like i'm not it's not because i'm not gonna see it or because i'm not interested in seeing it but like until you said oh it's out this week i was like oh right like it is out this week you know, like, I, I I, don't have that level of activation uh, for this movie, so I actually think that is really good, because I'm going in with no expectations, you know, and until you threw out that number of 70 on Rotten Tomatoes, like, I had no baseline for how good it was going to be, you know? So I'm going in with a completely clean slate, I have no, very little to no baggage with Aquaman, and you know like the leading character like in terms of like the actor and everything like that like there's a lot that could work for me so i'm going in with an open mind and an open heart but like if if we got the announcement tomorrow oh you know aquaman's getting delayed another like four weeks in the states i'd be like oh okay like i i that's fine right
1: so there's this uh variety article and it sort of discusses essentially like uh ideas as to like why Aquaman has done so well and they sort of like bullet out a list of uh, a lot of the banter that's been going out online. Uh, I'm going to send this to the group too. Um, has been that the the, uh, the effects and the uses. So Sean, similar to what you were saying, like the, the underwater world and the way that they use the effects um, have been very sort of flashy and immersive. And so it's something that has been appealing uh, just on a aesthetic level. And then... It also says weak competition in China right now in terms of other films. The only other thing that they have right now going on is sort of Spider Man into the Spider Verse and uh, The Grinch.
2: Is, Sp- is Spider Verse not doing well? It is. Overseas? No, it is.
1: It is. Okay. Uh, but it's just like that's the only other competition there.
2: Yeah. And like, to be fair, those are both kids' movies. Mm-hmm. Or at least, you know, at least in- intended to- their primary audience, I think, is younger people. Yeah.
1: Right. And uh, also James Wan. He's a Malaysian born. Uh, director, so there's been a lot of adoration for,
0: for that as well.
2: Oh, I didn't know he was from Malaysia.
0: Oh, that's a good point.
2: Those, yeah, those are all really good points. And then, I mean, I guess there's also just the reality that, like, not to so say this isn't true of every other superhero movie, but, like, look at the leading man and lady of this movie. Yeah. They're fucking hot. <laughs> They're a hot couple, dude. You know, it's like... It's, that do, that doesn't hurt right like if you're like yeah whatever I'll go see this merman movie or whatever and then you see the poster and you're like alright shit like <laughs>
0: if I had 0. 0.0 interest in this movie I'd go to see Mara. Uh, I, I would why is, why is that shot? Mm, I wonder yeah. alright um, moving on <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the Arrowverse uh, they recently yeah? did yeah <laughs> yeah they recently did their uh, big year at e- year's end crossover um, called Elseworlds. Which did any of us catch that? Marco, did you no. catch that at all? No.
1: No, I don't follow that.
0: Yeah, uh, me neither. But uh, by all accounts, it was it was good. And at the end of it, they teased Crisis on Infinite Earths is coming to the Arrowverse in fall twenty nineteen. That's wild. Yeah. So, we don't know much about it. They did reveal a logo, which looks actually pretty cool. Um, but uh, we we know it's coming. So, obviously, there's not much to say there because we don't know, you know, exactly how that's going to play out. Um, but I, I guess I just had a question. Are you guys, obviously, you're not watching these shows, but are you baseline interested in the idea of them doing these kinds of big crossovers between their series in this way
2: um yeah i think for me it really comes down to like these shows are just not for me you know and like i i decided that when i watched the first season of arrow in one day and then like watched season 2 and then like my roommate and i had this moment it was in college and we looked at each other and we're like are you enjoying this? No. Are you? No. Okay, yeah. let's stop. You know, and like it they're not it wasn't terrible, but it just did not speak to me at all. And i've heard flash is good, i've heard supergirl's good, i've you know, i've heard legends of tomorrow is good depending on who you ask but I just don't need more TV shows to follow. I don't need more superhero content right now. So, like, these are just a thing that I've decided I'm not. They're not for me. So, like, I'm glad that they're successful. I'm glad they have an audience. And I think it's cool that it's existed and grown to this point where it started as a thing that people had very little faith in. To now it's like an anchor of the CW's programming and it's like five series wide and they're all crossing over and getting to do all these cool events and stuff. That's cool. Cause for the people that like that show, I'm sure that's hype as hell. And like, I've never been one to, uh, shit on something because it's not for me, you know? So I'm glad they're out there that there are people out there that are digging it. And it seems like they're going to get another really cool event here. You know?
1: Yeah. I similarly, I sort of fell off it around season two. It was a show that I would watch with like my brother, my mom. And, We hit a point where we're just like, all right, like we don't. It was specifically um, Arrow, and and we were just kind of like, okay, like this is fine, but it's not something we're like dying to watch. And so, like, I think at that point we like all dived into Jane the Virgin, and like it was that that was it. Um, And I'm not interested just because crossovers for me require a lot more knowledge of stuff. And I, I, uh, if I'm following these series, I feel like obviously they give you that context, or ideally they would, but. For me the that, that sort of like larger stuff i think events and crossovers are just not as appealing for me uh, even in tv and it's i mean if to your point Pete it, some the, there's an audience here and, and they really enjoy it and they they want this stuff and i mean if it's catering to that then awesome and, and we we're, we're getting superhero content like that's that's cool you know it's it's driving that sort of similar narrative to comic books and i think that's cool for Audiences to see, and for them to experience. But otherwise, it's not something that I'm like dying to go. I think it's cool, um, but yeah, not for me either.
2: I I think the thing that stands out the most to me about it when I think about this is, and I think I've said this on the show before. I think if you went back in time and told me at you know fifteen or sixteen or even like twenty when like Avengers was new and all that stuff, like when I was you know when comics were still way more superheroes were way more niche yeah. than they are now if if you could tell me that in you know 8 to 9 to 10 years time that there would be a world where there was so much superhero content that I'm like yeah there's like five or six really good superhero shows and I I'm just not watching them whatever mm-hmm. like that that I wouldn't believe you you know so like I it's awesome. It's really cool that that this that this whole uh, series ecosystem, whatever you want to call it over on the CW is thriving, you know, um, and this seems like the next step in that. So awesome for for those fans. And, you know, like there's a, a hardcore teeny bopper crowd that loves those fucking shows. So more power to them. Um, and because of those shows, me and Marco got Riverdale and Sabrina. So, yeah, hey.
1: man, like, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I I uh Kale does watch Flash, so if you guys want to talk Flash, like definitely at Kale. He's he's a fan.
0: Yeah, um I, I I wanna just get my quick thought in there. Um I you know, whatever, the shows are fine, I'm glad that there's people who enjoy it. That's all cool. I think using the title Crisis on Infinite Earths is a bad idea. Um mm-hmm. just because too much baggage? It's got the baggage, but more like, um, I get that that's their thing, that they, that they do these big crossovers with characters from different Earths and all that stuff. That's, that's yeah. a thing for them. But I just think that that's such a big name with such big implications that if you're going to use it at all, you should use it for money. Right? On film. Mm. On the big screen. Uh-
2: I just feel like they're, like they're so far away from a point where they could make a Crisis on Infinite Earths movie work. That, like, they could probably do this event and then five or six years later do that movie and nobody will fucking remember this anyway. You know, unless you watched it and were into it. And then if it was good, you'll probably be like, oh, cool. Like, maybe they're going to get it right again, you know?
0: Fair enough. Uh, I am inc- – Like, they put the work in here. I'm, I'm inclined to think that they wouldn't do that, but uh, who knows. And if, they're, and if they're that far along and they're ready um, to go there now, then then sure. So speaking of crossovers, it appears that Jeff Lemire is going to be crossing over his Black Hammer universe with yes. DC Comics.
2: Who the fucks Kale?
0: I know, right? This is such a Kale episode, right? Yeah.
2: This is wild. This is huge news.
0: Yeah. Uh so as we know, Black Panther, uh, Black Panther, <laughs> Black Hammer.
2: <laughs> oh shit! Black Panthers going to the <laughs> DC universe? <laughs>
0: Uh, Black Hammer is a comic book franchise that Jeff Lemire uh, and Dean Ormston created, and it's published over at Dark Horse. Uh, So that's going to be crossing over with DC, but we don't quite know exactly how that's going to take place. Um, It looks like it might be involved with uh, the Terrifics. Uh, Bleeding Cool has an article, they actually have the scoop on this. And they suggest that it might also involve uh, the Terrifics, which is a book that Lemire is writing.
1: Mm, interesting. Um,
0: but there's a really cool cover uh, for, I guess the the cross. There one portion of the crossover will take place in Black Hammer proper, and there's a cool cover. I guess this this character is Black Hammer. I've not seen it before, but. Uh, his body is his body and then like within it you can see batman wonder woman and superman
2: yeah it's a really cool cover
1: it's curious because black hammer is set in like the 40s so like i guess there's like some time travel stuff involved too like it's not going to be like a direct i guess one-to-one thing
2: yeah i mean who's to say right like because just because there's a crossover doesn't mean that it's like a crossover with like the DC universe proper, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if you if you look at this cover that uh, that Sean's referencing, and like granted, this is just a cover, so it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Like Wonder Woman's in her more classic.
0: Well, I actually, it appears that this is a mock-up cover, so this this is not okay. ac- this is not necessarily what they're going with. Representative, yeah, but yeah, still, I like
1: the idea. Yeah, and that's awesome for like such a like a an indie superhero universe, you know?
2: Yeah. Uh something that they that they point out in the um in the bleeding cool article as well is that DC has done a couple other crossovers like this. Sure. Where uh like they did Archie Batman 66, Wonder Woman 77 with Bionic Woman, Batman and the Max, Justice League and the Power Rangers, Planet of the Apes and Green Lantern, Wonder Woman and Conan the Barbarian, Shadow and Batman.
0: Yeah.
2: Um So it's like, and none of those were like in universe necessarily. Right. You know? So I think it'll probably be something more like that if I had to guess. But this is really cool. Obviously, really, really big for Black Hammer too, because I feel like that's an IP that, you know, there's a lot of people like I think the rest of us on this show that aren't Kale who've heard, who know somebody like Kale that really like it. They're like, oh, it's so good. You got to check it out. But like, haven't. And maybe this will be the thing that gets a couple DC fans to be like, "Oh, I wonder what what these books are all about."
0: Yeah, yeah, and and all these other series that they've crossed over with, especially lately with like a lot of the Hanna Barbera stuff, um, they don't necessarily need the bump. Uh, everybody knows, yeah. Who
2: Archie doesn't need a fucking bump, right?
0: You're not like you're not going to get necessarily more Planet of the Apes fans because they crossed over with the Green Lantern, right? But. Black Hammer could actually benefit, so mm-hmm. and and again, Jeff Lemire does work with DC, so this this is this is a very cool thing for him to be able to do. So um, we'll find out more information as this develops, and hopefully, this is something that um, does materialize and ends up being cool for both parties.
2: Honestly like I hope it really works out for uh, like obviously I want Jeff Lemire to be the one who benefits the most from his own work but this could also be really good for Dark Horse yeah. who like we yeah. talked about isn't really in a lot of trouble lately uh, with all like a lot of the rights to their more valuable series reverting to to Disney um you know they really need to double down on their creator owned and their original IP so Black Hammer is one of the biggest things like, one of the biggest feathers they have in their cap really is that universe so uh, more eyes and ears on it is the best thing imaginable
0: yeah uh absolutely um
2: dude i could really fuck with the idea of them like doing an adaption of some of those books like it would be really cool to get a superhero movie that was set in the 40s instead of like modern day i would be all over that
0: yeah so uh next up we have to talk about something that's not good um, it's shitty. It's definitely shitty. Um, all right, so before I jump into this, uh, just a trigger warning because this is this is a pretty heavy story. Uh so, you know, be beware.
2: Yeah, themes of like assault, you know, all that kind of stuff. So
0: So DC Comics has had to cancel Border Town because um the writer of Border Town has been accused of some pretty heavy stuff. Now the writer is Eric Escavel and um, uh, Border Town has been a book that's kind of been popular there's been a lot of uh, praise for it it's a Vertigo comic um, but uh, a woman named Cynthia Noggle uh, posted a, a a pretty damning account on her blogspot page um, mm-hmm. where she accused an individual in comics who lives in uh, Tucson, who has a Vertigo book that launched this summer, um, so she she did everything short of naming names here, um, but she accused him of severe sexual, mental, and emotional abuse. Um, her account is very detailed. If you haven't had the opportunity to read it, to read it, um, and and you are wanting to know, uh, you can definitely jump over and um, you know and, and read it um but it's it's pretty heavy stuff um several people in the industry have come out to sort of react to what she had to say obviously this sucks for a lot of people um her most of all because she did have to live through this um I, i'll i'll read a little bit of what she had to say and then we'll go into some of the other uh accounts um so she first talks about some of her um, her her life Uh, I had just broken up with a long term boyfriend we had issues that we couldn't work out and decided to break up I moved in with my family which at the time they lived with my grandma in a smaller place and took care of her because she had Alzheimer's my sister became pregnant and I had to start my life over this is in 2012 2013 um, the owner of the comic shop I work, I was working at decided he wanted to grow the marketing department and gave the marketing manager an assistant I became that assistant I was so excited about this It was at that time, right after my breakup, and I had the fuel to do something more with myself and felt like I had something to prove. I was eager to do something more to prove I didn't need my ex-boyfriend. My new manager will call him X. X acted like my friend. He was there for me during my breakup, and he listened. Then one day, while we were having a conversation about my breakup, the topic of our intimacy came up. He got closer. He put his hand on my hip and lower. He kissed me and invited me to his place during our lunch break. I said yes. Immediately, he starts taking off my clothes. I can't stop shaking. I couldn't say anything, but I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I couldn't look at him. Then he slaps my face. I couldn't do anything after that. I let it all happen and went straight to work after. I wanted to forget without giving details. There wasn't an ounce of love in what just happened to me. Later that night, he brought his girlfriend over to our work. They were in a polyamorous relationship. She knew about us. Me and X worked late. As I went into the back room, he followed me, pushed me up against the wall, and started taking off my clothes. Uh, I'm going to stop there. It gets heavier than that, and I think that's about all we need to really go into. So, uh, like I said earlier, several people in the industry have spoken out about this issue. Uh, Betty Felon. um, Friend of the show. Yeah, we've we've done stuff with her before. Um, Riverdale, right? Yep,
2: yeah, she was on an episode of the Riverdale Review.
0: Yeah. Uh, so she went on Twitter and said, This is a tough read, but it's an account about a creator whom my peers and I have been warned about multiple times over the years. Thank you for your strength, Cynthia. Then the colorist on the series, uh Border Town, Tamra Bonvillain, uh posted uh, on her on her end, she said two days ago. I was first made aware of the experiences shared by Cynthia Noggle about her relationship with Border Town writer Eric Esquivel. The way he treated her was disgusting and inexcusable, and Issue 5 is my last issue working on Bordertown. It shames me to have spent so much time and energy working with someone who is capable of such actions, and I'm sorry if the delay in response caused some confusion about my feelings. We were advised to let the attention remain on the parties involved, but it seems clear that Eric has no interest in acknowledging his actions. His actions, and I don't feel comfortable waiting any longer. I'm sorry to Cynthia and any other women he may have treated similarly in the past. If I had been aware of his history of abuse, I would never have joined the project. And without trying to speak for Ramon or anyone else, I believe they feel the same way. Ramon's the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to actually jump over to his account, Ramon's account. Uh, and he says... Out of respect for all parties involved, I wanted to stay quiet about this situation the last few days, but I feel like I should take a moment to say my piece. I have made it my practice to believe women, full stop. The bravery and strength it took for her to write that letter is probably not strength or bravery I may ever have. There had been been vague rumors about Eric and his treatment of women, and although I was given no real specifics, I insisted to Eric that he come clean to me and our team about any inappropriate interactions he may have had. I think now that I did not ha- give enough weight to the rumors, and I can't state enough how much I regret that. To the best of my abilities, I took the matters through the proper channels, and DC Vertical handled it in a way that felt responsible and direct. I probably can't get into all details allowed. I sorry. I probably can't get into detail allowed me to get back to my job. Weird sentence.
2: Yeah, I think that's like a typo. Yeah. Maybe.
0: I want to be clear that neither me, Tamara, or anyone in editorial knew. About what came out. And it's very disheartening to see information come out. Border Town meant a lot to me. Because it was a confluence of so many of my interests. Elements of horror. Comedy. Teenage rebellion. Latino culture. Etc. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say. I've poured everything I had into this. And my best work of my young career. Lots of other stuff. He goes on. Uh, So that's really where this whole thing. Sort of ends for now. Uh, Esquivel has not commented. Yet. On this situation which is unfortunate Um, it sucks because obviously for Ramon Villalobos this means a lot it means a lot for Tamra Bond villain and their 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 time on this series has to end and that sucks
1: Mm -hmm. it's a shame because it's also it was a poignant series I think
0: yeah were you were you a reader on this one
1: yeah uh, it was cool it did the way it discussed like Latin culture and it brought in sort of like the mythology and horror of it Um, so it's a shame
0: Oh man, wasn't this one of the first books in Yeah, the... yeah. The
1: vertical Stuff. Oh yeah.
0: man, yeah. You read that
1: first, that first issue was phenomenal.
0: Oh wow. That sucks. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awful. I hate doing stories like this on the show because they're such a bummer and we love comics so so much. And you hate it whenever a creator whose work you might enjoy ends up being a piece of garbage. Um, it, it, You know, at at worst, um, for you personally, obviously, the worst is the individual who had to go through this crap. Um, but for you as an individual, at worst, the run's over, and you don't get to see how it ends. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of times, depending on who you are, it taints what you did read. And sometimes you can't even go back to it. You know, maybe it did complete and it's a run that you cherish, but now you can't read it anymore because you can't dissociate the awful human or humans in some instances, um, who did work on the book. I think of you, Pete, with I believe it's Rat Queens.
2: Yeah, yeah, I was about to bring that up. That's something that like I've still struggled with. Like I literally bought uh the first issue of the second volume when it came back with a new artist and I tried to pick it up and I'm just like I don't really know if I want to read this anymore. Like it still feels Weird, you know, sure. and like I, I still I still have been grappling with those feelings. And yeah, that's something that I, I definitely struggle with the idea of like the death of the author. Right. That you should be able to look at the work for the work and not the uh, the person's personal life. And that's something I've really never been able to do very well, because art is a deeply personal thing. Sure. Um, and I I, and I think like you have to look at the whole package, you know. Um. And it's a shame and 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 like i don't I don't begrudge somebody who doesn't look at it that way necessarily you know like that's that's your business um but that that is a problem for me you know and i i think especially in this kind of scenario where we're talking about somebody who in my mind has committed i what i think is probably the most heinous crime that you can commit you know uh is is the sexual assault of another person and um i really don't I don't know that it gets worse than that. And you know, for me, like it, it's, uh, I think it's easy for me to say, like I'm not, I don't have that consideration because I didn't read the book, right? So I'm not like thinking about, oh, it's a shame that this book ended. My my mind immediately goes to, I can't believe we have another story like this. Sure. You know, I can't believe we have another story from our midst, from our corner of the entertainment industry where. This person who was a well known abuser, at least well enough that Betty pointed out that she and several other women that she knows in the industry were warned about this guy. But so many people must have also been covering his ass then or been too afraid to come forward and, and publicly say something about what he had done. You know? So uh, I think uh, I, I really just want to say big big ups to Cynthia on this for coming forward because that's not an easy thing to do and I'm sure it's a thing that she's gonna get harassed for and death threats and a a whole bunch of other really nasty shit after multiple right multiple horrifying traumatizing events that I'm sure she's still dealing with to this day yeah and that she's gonna still have to continue to deal with because fuckholes on the internet are going to keep throwing it in her face every chance they get. And that's the takeaway for me is that we need to stop letting people like this make art. Like we need to stop letting them into our spaces. And I think and again, right? I'm this is not my intention is not to point fingers. I completely believe the the statements that we've read here by the creative team that they did not know that I, I take that in good faith. However, I don't believe that somebody like this has been allowed to operate in this space for this long without there being somebody covering their tracks or even in the point that, uh, it was Enrique, right? Was the artist's name? Ramon Ramon. Sorry. Uh, if if you look at Ramon's statement, right, he heard the rumors and he chose to believe that they weren't true because it was easier than, than reconciling with that uncomfortable reality. And I think everybody's done that at some point, whether it's a friend, whether it's a creator that you like. You know, I, I know uh, the rumors about like Louis C.K., right? were circling around the internet for years before he was actually publicly called out. And it was a thing that, If you're a fan, you know, like, you wanted to believe it wasn't true, right? And that if it was true, there'd be evidence, right? And I think more and more, we're seeing that that's not the case. That where there's smoke, there's often fire. And that the the cases where rumors like this turn out to not be true are few and far between. And, you know, I think I'm not saying... That we don't need to worry about due diligence. I'm not saying that everybody shouldn't get their day in court. We have to listen to both sides and all that stuff. But nine fucking times out of ten, when these kinds of rumors or these kinds of accusations are circling around somebody behind the scenes, they end up being very true. And it speaks to the fact that despite all the progress that we've made on this front with the Me Too movement and associated, uh, you know, conversations around around these these instances and these power dynamics and all these things that take place like it's still a very real problem and it's still something that's happening a lot and we need people like Cynthia who are brave enough to stand up and share their stories and then people like us need to listen and believe uh, her or at least give her an opportunity to tell her side listen to the other side and try to figure out where the facts fall. You know, but anybody whose immediate response to this kind of stuff is to bristle or to push back or to defend the book or defend the person, you really need to examine your thought process and your biases, I think. And I don't mean that as a judgment. I don't mean that as a, like, fuck you, you're a piece of shit. I mean that as, like, this keeps happening for a reason. These stories keep happening. It's because there's truth to it. And we got to listen and we got to try and shine a light on this shit when we can. Because it's got to stop happening.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Very uh, unfortunate, uncomfortable subject. But we're going to bounce back because that's what we do on this show. And we're going to do that by saying congratulations to Kelly Sue DeConnick and Matt Fraction. Because Milkfed Criminal Masterminds, which is their sort of production production company, company, um, has signed a deal with none other than Legendary Television. Uh, Hell yeah. Legendary's been snapping up creators. I think last week or the week before we talked about Brian K. Vaughn signing yep. with them. Yep. And uh well,
2: that's for films, but Yeah,
0: I think it might have been a film and television type deal, whatever it was. Um either way. Yeah. Uh now they've added Matt Fraction and Kelly Sudaconic to their mm. roster. No
2: big fucking deal. Just three of the best independent comic book creators of the last fifteen years, like
0: of all time. Yeah, I mean this yeah, is for sure. This is this is fantastic for them. Um, yeah, it's big
2: fucking news, dude.
0: Between the two of them, they've got so many hits when you think about it, right? Sex um, criminals,
2: bitch planet, like fucking yeah. the, li- the list goes on and on and on. Like
0: <laughs> yeah, so um, this is really cool, and uh, I can't wait to see what comes out of this. What I'm interested in is whether or not we're gonna see in a uh, new IP. Or if we're going to see them adapting some of their stuff to television.
2: I think it's going to be mostly adaptions, at least at first, if I had to guess. Because I know when they launched Milkfed, that was the intention of it. Was mm. that it was a production company that was a joint venture between them and I think one other person. Who's their business partner. And uh, the intention was to adapt their creator-owned projects to other mediums.
1: Mm. Right. So,
2: I don't I don't know that original stuff is off the table. But I imagine the first thing that we're going to see is, like, if I if I had to bet it's going to be, like, a Sex Criminals adaption. Right. I think that's easily the biggest blockbuster that they have on their hands, you know? A couple years ago, you couldn't get away from that book.
0: Yeah. Um, so, again, kudos to them. Uh, I can't wait to see the result of this. It just sucks that it takes so long uh, in that world to actually get something up and running, you know? Yeah um it could be a while before we finally see the fruits of of this deal
2: oh yeah dude i mean they launched milk fed in like 2014 or something or 15 it's like they've been negotiating deals like this for three years and we're finally hearing about something you know Yeah. so don't don't expect this stuff anytime soon but couldn't happen to a nicer couple they're awesome
0: sure so hit girl is returning for season two uh but this time it's going to be written by kevin smith uh, Kevin Smith is jumping back into writing comics to take over Hit-Girl. Mark Millar has kind of stepped back from both Hit-Girl and I believe uh, he's also stepped back from the proper Kickass to let other writers take over uh, while he works on his Netflix stuff and all that. So this time, Kevin Smith is going to be writing it alongside artist uh, Pernil Orem. Not sure if that's the proper pronunciation there. But, uh, yeah, this is going to be a different story. So, this is the, this is the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The synopsis. Our favorite adolescent assassin tears Tinseltown a new one when she realizes her life's been dramatized for the silver screen. Hit-girl storms sets, wages war on fat cat movie bosses, and lures old enemies out of hiding in this Californian bloodbath. My question is, is Kevin Smith on this book enough to make you guys want to read it?
1: I don't... I, I don't think I've read anything from Kevin Smith, and he's not a person who I think of, like, immediately in terms of, like, sort of the comics industry. Uh, I know him from, like, Clerks and some of his other films and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, and I'm also, like, not a fan of Hit Girl or Kick-Ass. Like, this is a cool announcement, and I think Kevin Smith jumping back in is gonna be cool, but... Um, it's not enticing for me at least.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of aligned with Marco on this, uh, where Kevin Smith has a lot of resonance to me because I'm from New Jersey and, (laughs) you know, um, grew up when I did. So like films like Clerks and Mallrats and, you know, those things were very formative to me as a teenager. And, uh, I like Kevin Smith a lot as a guy, you know, um, and oftentimes, as a creator, uh, I was a big fan of uh, the arc that he did on Spider-Man with about Black Cat. Um, it's called "The Evil That Men Do." I was a big fan of that when I was a when I was a teenager. I don't know exactly know how it holds up; I haven't read it in quite some time. But uh, so this announcement is like it, it it piques my interest as a Kevin Smith fan, but it's more me hoping that it means he's going to write more comics again. Because as much as I am interested in the idea of him writing comics again, I'm not super invested in um in seeing more from the Kick-Ass universe. You know, we talked about it when Mark Millar did his whole reboot with, like, a new Kick-Ass. And I just – you know, I, I don't – that was a book that I really think should have been the one self-contained story that it was and like the more they've added on to it the less i've the less interested i've been like i read kickass 2 and it was fine but it wasn't as good as the first one and i never read kickass 3 yeah. so at this point like un- unless something motivates me to go back and revisit the series and be like let me read all of it and see how i feel about it like i just don't i don't see myself picking this up
1: yeah there's a fan base here that's getting surfaced.
0: but yeah i i'm not I'm not I don't care to be honest I I'm not, I'm so over hit girl and kick ass and all that that I can't even imagine I I don't know who what creator they'd have to put on this to get me to buy it um G-mo. certainly well yeah that would do Oh it. my god
2: that would be fucking insane Yeah <laughs> uh,
0: and no no disrespect to Kevin Smith but I just I don't think I've ever seen or read anything that he's done that I cared about
1: Really? Phil, Phil's a fan of his uh, Green Arrow, I think.
0: That might be true. Maybe. Yeah, but uh, not, not, not me. Not over this way. Something that I am a fan of is that uh, Saladin Ahmed is going to be taking over writing duties for Miss Marvel uh, with a new, a new series that will be launching in March of 2019, The Magnificent Miss Marvel. Now, of course, that means that G. Willow Wilson is actually leaving the book. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is
2: insane. Like
0: it's, it's definitely insane, but the writing has been on the wall for that, sadly. Um, as soon as it was announced that she would be writing for Wonder Woman, it was very clear that there was no way she was going to be working for both Marvel and DC, and that it was over. And it's really sad. Uh, she did write a farewell letter over at marvel.com um, i it's it's really long um, but uh, i I'll, I'll read a little bit of it um, being part of the genesis of Kamala Khan has been one of the greatest honors of my life from my puzzlement during that first telephone conversation with Sana in 2012 I was pregnant frazzled from a long book tour and in disbelief you want to launch a new character in this market to my stunned amazement when the first issue went into its seventh printing to my glee when Sana handed Ow. the first trade paperback to the president of the United States this journey has <laughs> been pure joy Sana and I initially had very modest expectations for this book. Our goal was to get to 10 issues. It was going to be a fun side project. A young adult Muslim superhero at Marvel. That would, have, that would have the lifespan of fun side projects. I budgeted a year for it. But by the time the first trade paperback hit the New York Times graphic book's bestseller list, I realized Kamala was quickly becoming the center of my life. And that is in no small part thanks to you, the readers. Your enthusiasm has propelled this character to greater and greater heights. Never in my life did I imagine I would walk into my local drugstore and see something I created staring back at me from t-shirts and action figures. Yet, it's the experiences I've had meeting readers that have changed me on an elemental level. At signings, at conventions, at classroom visits, we've laughed and cried together. I've met your kids, seen pictures of your dogs, held your hands while you talked about your most difficult experiences. Kamala is not just what you read on the page or watch on TV. She is this community, and she has made all of us better human beings. So and then she goes on to explain why she left the book. In February, I will have written 60 issues of this book. Five years of Kamala's story. She is now something much bigger than the miniseries Sana and I planned years ago. She will, in all likelihood, outlive us all. I couldn't be happier about it. And by that same token, it means that my part in Kamala's adventures must eventually come to an end. Great superheroes stay fresh and relevant because they are the work of many storytellers. All of whom bring their unique perspectives and experiences to the character. Earlier this year, I began to have the persistent feeling that I was in danger of repeating myself every time I sat down to write a new script. It was a sign. Time to start planning my exit. I will miss working with the phenomenal roster of artists that has made this series one of the best-looking books on the shelf year after year. Adrian Alfana, whose genius character and environmental designs gave this series its distinct look. Jamie McKelvey, whose design sense is already legendary. For the costume that so quickly became iconic, Takeshi Miyazawa, whose kinetic, gleeful style was impossible not to love, and Nico Leon, who is basically my blood brother at this point, and for whom no action sequence is too weird. The amazing Ian Herring, who has colored every single issue of this book for five straight years, and whose flawless palette gives the book stylistic continuity no matter who is drawing it. And Joe Caramagna, letter extraordinaire, who has spent half a decade putting up with my last-minute edits when he really shouldn't have to. I love you, Joe. I am sorry, Joe. <laughs> In a couple months, I will step down as the writer of Miss Marvel, but I will be a fan for life. Uh, thank you very, very much. G. Willow Wilson for introducing us all to this character that I think has enriched comics. Um, You can point to a lot of characters and go, wow, yeah, what would comics be without that character? And I believe that Miss Marvel is becoming and has become one of those characters, especially for this generation and the generation that's coming up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Seconded 100%.
0: Yeah, man.
2: And I think the point that she made about um, how much the character has penetrated is insane. And it speaks to something that we have talked about a lot on this show that it's because they did it right, you know? Um, they built Kamala over a long time. And, you know, she's been a character that's had a steady, you know, a steady monthly book and a steady following since her debut. And that's five years and 60 issues. Like that's history. There's history to that character. Now If they want to make a movie or an adaption or a show or whatever. There's, there's a lot of source material, you know? And, um, and I think, you know, part of it is because it was just, it was well done and it hit at the right time. And, and it was a luck and whatever else you want to throw in there. But I think a lot of it does just come down to like, you know, good execution of something that is important but it's hard to do which is developing new meaningful characters that can stand up alongside and amongst characters that have long preceded them you know and i think i think a lot of times we, we think of that as an insurmountable obstacle. you know, we think of how hard it is and and how many characters come out and even if people like them, they don't stick around because they don't find that audience or they don't resonate with enough people or, or whatever. But uh Kamala did, and that's a that's a huge achievement. and it's something that every one of these creators that have had a hand in these sixty issues should be immensely proud of because it's something that so few people will ever achieve, you know? Um, not not just creating a character who, you know, is going to be a member of the Marvel canon forever, right? Presumably. Uh, that in and of itself is a thing that so few people can claim. But to make a character like Kamala that has her level of impact that's resonated with so many people, with so many young women uh, or young Muslim people uh or young New Jerseyans. Um <laughs> uh that's really special and like you you created somebody's you know Superman and like that's that's something that uh you can't measure the impact. You know? You gave young people somebody they can aspire to and somebody they can look up to and that's really important. And uh you, you know uh, pff- it's just good job, congratulations, and thank you, yeah, for what you've achieved uh
1: just adding to that, I think uh one of the biggest things that G Will has said um, on numerous occasions is just the authenticity, and I think that definitely permeates and has led to the success of the book
0: yeah, absolutely um one one sort of side note on this that I wanted to bring up is uh obviously we said that um that uh, Saladin Ahmed is going to be taking over the series um, as writer. and The art will be done by uh, Min-Kyu Jung. Um, the reason I bring it up is because now he is the writer of not only Miss Marvel, but of uh, Spider-Man, Miles Morales' Spider-Man. Yeah. And How crazy is
2: that?
0: <laughs> it's crazy, it's cool, but I'm I, I have a bit of a concern. This is now two books that he is writing that both star minority characters, him being a minority himself. Uh, I'm wondering if this is the pigeonholing.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, This happens a lot. Uh, You know, David F. Walker wrote Luke Cage. Can't think of any other book he ever wrote. Um, You know, I I feel like a lot of times, like, a lot of times, minority writers, they get kind of, cast in that role of well you've got to write the minority character or women you know they get they get thrown the the women characters all the time and don't ever get an opportunity to write the men um i'm not saying that that's what's happening it's just something that i noticed because because he started with black bolt so i feel like potentially
1: like i I totally see where, where you're going and and I sort of like seeing that. I was like, "Oh, yeah, he was writing miles. He is gonna be writing miles. Oh, and now he's on this. Like, I could definitely see the trajectory. But hopefully, because of the work he did with Black Bolt, it sort of shows that he doesn't ideally have to be put into that into that box. And so, hopefully, after either he lets up on either uh Spider Man or on this, if this is like a like a smaller arc, like." he'll get put onto one of those bigger name books otherwise yeah to your point it's going to be something somewhat disappointing to see him just stuck on these
2: yeah it's like it's interesting cuz like i i definitely see what you're saying um it's kind of weird though to me because like i think he's in this interesting spot now where like he's writing these two characters but i i certainly wouldn't call them not major characters you know, like I definitely think these are like probably two of, like if they're if they if they pop off and they're like well done and well received, like they'll probably be two two of Marvel's bigger books. Um, so like him doing these won't leave him a lot of time to do other stuff. So I think it's really going to be interesting to see like what, like what's the deal? Like is he doing one arc on both of these books? Is he picking both of these up at a monthly capacity for like the foreseeable future? Cause if that's the case, like this is gonna be what he does for a while, and it's I guess like to Marco's point, it'll be most telling if what you're saying is true based on what his next
0: project is. There's almost no chance that he's that this that whatever he does with these characters doesn't last at least one year.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and also I think more so it's sort of the the optics of it of it being like sure these are big characters, but still it's sort of. It's understood as like okay, they are minority characters, and he is a minority writer, and and yeah. the association there.
2: Yeah, I think I think um, and then just the one other thing that like, is it, I guess an interesting part of that equation, right? Is that like before him, Miles is exclusively written by a white guy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so I, it's I, like I sure. that.
2: You know what I mean? Like that. It does. Like I'm not saying that. Uh, it, it's. I think it's just like it's really tough to say. If what you're saying is true or not, like, is this the pigeonholing or is this just two characters that were offered to him that spoke to him and he picked them up, you know? And I think like, depending on who he's writing next, we'll see what that really means, I guess, or, or, cause who knows, right? Like, like you said, it's going to be at least a year of these are probably the only two projects he'll be able to do. Cause you got to imagine this is going to take up all his time.
0: Yeah. I just, uh, I can't really think of a writer off the top of my head who I think is better than him at Marvel and um i want to see him in the big leagues i'm not saying that these aren't big league characters necessarily but um he, this is not avengers this isn't iron mm-hmm. man you know i yeah. want to see him apply his trade to the characters that marvel thinks are the heavy hitters
2: but i to me like i'm wondering if that's what they're saying with this move on some level because like if you think about the the transitioning of, of talent here, they took both of these books that are two of their most popular characters, unquestionably, their two most popular modern characters, and that have only been handled by one other person ever before, and they gave both of them to this guy. I think that speaks a lot to their confidence in him.
0: The other wrinkle there is that Ahmed does write "Exiles," which stars Kamala Khan as an older version of herself. So maybe, um, maybe that that connection is why he was offered the book. Maybe there's yeah. a part of that that, that makes sense. Maybe
2: they, yeah, they liked the way that he wrote her voice, and they're like, "Hey, like we need somebody to do this." Or maybe he liked writing her, and when the opportunity for the job was up, he was like, "Yo, like let me jump at that."
1: Sure.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I'm certainly looking forward to this, so uh, March 2019, we'll be talking about this book for sure a little more. So, in more Marvel news, uh, it appears that Marvel is gearing up for their next event, in which they will, shockingly, uh, alter or reveal more about the history of their characters, um, apparently, the history of every character hasn't been fully told yet. Somehow, there's still more we don't know. Uh, so, they released a few teasers <sighs> this week. Yep. They I'm sorry, that was few,
2: involuntary.
0: A <laughs> few teasers this week um, for a few different things. So, first up, we've got uh, who really gave the Fantastic Four their powers? Uh, So that's the sort of tagline there. It says Marvel History is destroyed March 2019. Next, we've got Who Saved Jean Grey from Dark Phoenix? Marvel History is destroyed Marvel 2019. And finally, Who Found Captain America on Ice Before the Avengers? Marvel History is destroyed March 2019. What the hell does this mean?
2: Uh, So... This this means one of two things, and I don't like either of them. Um, So this is either going to be a retconning moment, right? Like, we're going to have some kind of, like, uh, Bendis, the Bendis Superman stuff where, like, he revealed Destructor or whatever the fuck his name was. Raguel, that guy.
0: Ragulzar or whatever. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Fucking whatever. D- discount Lobo. Um, (laughs) basically like being like, oh, but the real, the real story was this all along. And I fucking hate that as a device in almost everything. So not really hoping that's not what we're seeing here. The alternative is that it's going to be an event or some weird thing that leads us to be like oh maybe all those things aren't true and then they are anyway and it was all much to do about nothing and it was a marketing ploy to sell us on a story you know very similar to uh secret empire right regardless of your feelings about that book the headline was oh my god captain america's a nazi bah like that was the point of that was to get hype and then get people invested in that book and hmm it's got to be one of those two things here, right? Like, and I'm I'm not saying that that wasn't the reason that the story was written that way. That's the reason that the way you heard about it was in a New York Times article hyping it up, not in the book. The same way that we're getting promotional images that are here to like stoke a fire and get a reaction out of people.
0: Uh 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 cuz that happened in Captain America, not Secret Empire.
2: Well, you know what I mean? I just mean the 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 fucking, you know, the like fervor around it like that news existed to get us fucking angry
0: sure yeah um and then the other tease was actually who brought the amazing spider-man back after spider-man no more very weird marco you got a take on this
1: hey man if it's uh if the marvel universe is gonna be destroyed let it i don't give a shit
0: oh, oh my what? god
2: this motherfucker
1: no i don't I, I don't like i don't know what's going on there man
0: yeah, uh, these they kind could of revise things. the
1: history, and it's like I don't know what happened before. So, <laughs> it's all got, new to me, man.
2: Marco's got no horse in this race.
0: <laughs> I'll tell you this: I'll I'll be reading. <laughs> I'll, I'll be reading because he's a mark. Mm-hmm. I'll be
2: showing up to this show to hear what Sean tells me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Although, to be honest with you guys, I I haven't read any at all, anything at all of Infinity Wars. It's been going on for a few wow. months now. I have not read a single issue. Um, I, I'm just, I don't care. They lost yeah, you. I just, I don't know. I think in, in, they may have finally lost me.
2: I don't know, dude. I feel like a combination of them putting out books that you don't care about while DC is delivering <laughs> exclusively books you care about is not yeah. helping them at all.
0: <laughs> it's tough because other than Salad and Ahmed and Nick Spencer and Jason Aaron, I I struggle. Oh, and ta Colts. Coates. Like, I really don't care about most of their writers. Rosenberg? And, oh, ro- yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Wow. Rosenberg and Brisson as well. Ed Brisson and, and Matthew Rosenberg I do like. Um, but that's not the – you look at what the writers that DC has. It's like a different league. It's It's – you know, come on. Um, I just... I don't I don't care. The person mm-hmm. writing Infinity Wars is a writer that I've routinely not enjoyed. So it's hard for me to get invested when I see that name on the cover.
2: Um, yeah, meanwhile, you look at every Justice League character right now is headlined by one of the biggest writers in yeah, comics ever.
0: Exactly. It's tough. But it's not all bad because there is a concept over at Marvel that I am very interested in, and I think you guys will enjoy it too. So, Chip Zdarsky is, uh, you know, he just ended his his run on, I believe it was Spectacular Spider-Man. Yep. Um, but he's, he's actually picking the character back up again with something called Spider-Man Life Story. And so what this is, is actually a very cool idea. It's what if Spider-Man aged like a real human? And each issue takes us through a decade of Spider-Man's life. So, for example, wow, that's cool. Spider-Man life story number one is the 60s. Number two is the 70s and so on and so forth. So Chip had this to say about the, the book. I guess I'm just not done with Spidey. This is an idea I've had. Since I first started working for Marvel, something that explores the characters and the Marvel Universe on a deeper level where time changes both the characters and the world. Being able to span decades with one of the most iconic Spider-Man artists ever, Mark Bagley, is surreal. He's creating fresh takes on classic characters and moments in really dynamic ways. So, I think this is awesome. I'm really, really excited for this.
2: I'm, I'm deeply excited for this. This is, like, this is so much my shit, you know? Like, this is exactly the kind of thing that I want to see Marvel do, you know? And, like, when we first started the show, I was asking for this kind of book, and DC gave me Black Label, so this is great. This is, like, and especially that it's with Spider-Man, like, this speaks to me yeah, as, as much as I think an announcement from Marvel could right now
0: yeah this is this is fantastic um and of course mark bagley i mean my goodness
2: yeah right like you talk about all-time best spider-man artists and you know he's right at the top of that list in my mind
0: marco is this this you this for you
1: yeah this is cool i I mean i i like chip Uh, i think he's a he's sort of an out there creator and he's fun (laughs) um i fucking i love chip (laughs) Dude, uh, side note, his video dunking on Tom King's Batman, hilarious if you guys catch that. I haven't um, seen it. Uh, it, it. It's good. I'll, I'll post it later. It's funny. Um, but she yeah, like, funny like, like this, I think, is an interesting concept and one that I think is enough of one where I'd, I'm interested to sort of see what comes out of it because I, I like the idea of time having its effect and, and actually, you know, making its mark on things Mm, yeah i'm
2: so ready to read this book and watch spider-man get married and have a baby and then die like i'm gonna cry like a fucking child and i can't wait
0: (laughs) speaking of spider-man uh spider-man into the spider-verse is out there in the wild Um,
2: hell yeah it is sean
0: sure is and on its uh on its preview night it made $3.5 million. Whoa. On yeah. preview. That's preview, good. Yeah, yeah. So thir- that's Thursday night showings. Um, and it slayed Mortal Engines, which is the latest Peter Jackson film. Oh, well, it's produced by Peter Jackson, I should say. Uh, and that movie only earned $675,000, which is bad. Not
2: great. Yeah. Good. I'm not 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 to throw shade at that. I'm just I really want Spider Verse to succeed because <laughs> I yeah. want more original animation like that.
0: Yeah, and um, so it's doing fantastically. The only concern um, that I have is the fact that it's coming out, and next week we're getting Aquaman. So this movie's not really gonna have a ton of time to shine.
2: Yeah, I th- I think the one. The one thing I think it has in its favor in in that sense is, like, I think, it yeah, it's a week before, so it does have a solid week for people to go see it before Aquaman comes out. And I think its audience is both the same and different, you know? Because, like, I do think that kids go and see live-action superhero movies for sure, uh, just like adults will go and see Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, like, Into the Spider-Verse is more a movie that you're going to go, like, if you're like, oh, I'm taking the kids to go see a movie, you know, like, you're probably going to pick the Spider-Man cartoon over the Aquaman movie, at least in my mind. And I I feel like kids may gravitate to that more. So I'm hoping that that, you know, uh, kind of settles that score a little bit.
0: Sure. Yeah, um, and we don't have the the box office numbers because obviously for us the weekend isn't over. Yeah, uh, for it just you guys came out. <laughs> listening, it is. Yeah, so um, we'll update that you know next week. But um, again, we've got our review out. So if you want to hear that, if you're anxious to hear our thoughts on the Spider Man into the Spider Verse film, go check out our review. Um, we're gonna have a lot to say, so you're gonna want to tune in for that. But um, for the rest of this episode, we're going to be talking about a book that we're all very excited to discuss, which is Fearscape Number Three by our boy Ryan O'Sullivan. So, Fearscape is a book that we've been following for a little while now. Uh, Marco, are you prepared to tell us when we've reviewed the other issues again for the people?
1: Yes, Uh one hundred six, Fearscape Number Two, and ninety nine, Fearscape Number One. Awesome. Your friendly editor, Marco. <laughs>
0: this is one of my favorite bits we do (laughs) uh so uh that's that's ryan o'sullivan and andrea moody on uh art there and vladimir popov on colors uh and and world design on letters so um we've enjoyed the first two for sure i wish we had phil on to talk about this one because uh he's He's been cautiously optimistic about the potential of this series, whereas I think probably the three of us have been more into it. What do you guys think of this one?
2: I was real high on this issue uh i I know like recently we've been avoiding spoilers because we were doing it like a week or last time we did it a week in advance. It is out this week, so we are gonna spoil the book
0: yeah yep
2: that that ending dude made me. Like, talk about books that made you gasp out loud. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, things yeah. have... Like, this book has had several moments that really surprised me, and it made me feel like things had escalated. But this this issue made everything that came before it seem inconsequential. Yeah. And that's awesome. Like, holy shit, Ryan. You dr- You literally dropped my goddamn jaw in this one. And I think, like things got way more sinister this issue seriously uh and it 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 really made me think differently about our leading man and uh and it makes me so excited for what the last two issues have in store like like what what are the ramifications and the fallout of what we saw in 3 you know
0: yeah Absolutely. Um man, this like you said, it took a turn that was really, really unexpected. I was excited to read this. Um because obviously issue two leaves us in a space where it's like, alright. Um we've seen the fear escape, we kinda know what it is, and uh we've seen Henry in the Fear Escape. But here Um, it it turns out that he actually ends up writing while stealing Arthur's book and putting his name on it Mm -hmm. and And it
2: goes really well,
0: (laughs) it goes fantastically. Yeah. Um, I love that. I I love that. He kind of got what he wanted, but he didn't get what he wanted off his own strength. He got what he wanted because he stole. He cheated.
2: He's a conniving little shit.
0: Exactly. (laughs)
2: Dude, um, I I loved that opening scene of him justifying this this like how he stole it, and he was like, "Oh, I read it, and it was exactly what I would have wrote." Yeah, wrote right? if I if I if I lowered myself to write this kind of drivel, this is exactly what I would have done.
1: Yeah, his his like braggadociousness and like this this entitlement is just like so. It, it's a really it's a character flaw I guess that is so enticing to read because it's like this guy is such an asshole and it's like like <laughs> I, we get that he's striving for this artistic this artistic talent and stuff but it's like he's not getting to it and he can only do it by cheating and he's like cheating himself and kidding everybody around him and himself like it's it's tragic
2: yeah if he spent as much time writing as he did scheming yeah, like, he might actually like I don't know, turn out something worthwhile.
0: Yeah. Um I I really appreciated the the sort of devilish figure here, the greatest fear. Yeah, the greatest fear. Um I really was was in love with the dialogue during that whole sequence there. That was fantastic. Um and <laughs> it was it was kind of funny how he ends up getting killed by those those goons. Um, oh yeah <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> like just like, like, even that like even that is not
0: his own right, exactly he gets he gets lucky i I kind of I thought that that moment was a little bit weird, just because they don't even say anything, they just shoot it and walk away, and I wasn't sure if we were supposed to get something more out of that because they just like why would they even care how mm-hmm. how like. No fear are these guys that they just walk up to what looks like the devil incarnate and just pop off and walk away. You know, like that's a cold-blooded thing to do. Well, Um, I
2: I think it's – I think wasn't the – and I I read this like a week ago now, so I might be misremembering some of these details. But I thought the thing there was that they were able to live in the fearscape forever because they – because of what he did and they went and killed the devil so they could like run free. That was kind of, like, what I, I thought was yeah. the takeaway there. Cause but they... I, I, but I, I I felt like the broader narrative purpose was supposed to be to just, like, undercut that moment. Because I feel like they do that a lot, where anytime there's, like, a big mystical, like, moment that's full of, like, pomp and circumstance, like, it gets undercut.
0: Uh, yeah, it says, um, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, they manifested in the Escape the moment thou first stepped foot there, destined to dwell there until thou overcame me. But it, but he says they are thee. He says they are yeah. thee, meaning they're you, right? Because they're like
1: his. Uh, in in the last issue, they were part of the. They like revealed themselves as the heart, the uh, the mind, and like something else. Like one of them was a brain, and one of them was actually a uh, like. Henry sort of like place of I guess uh, refuge and stuff right. but it turns out they were just kind of playing him so I, I'm, I'm sort of confused about them as characters and sort of what they like I, 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 don't, I don't totally fully understand what they're trying to get
0: yeah because those three characters were in like the very first issue and they Which confused me Right, they they were just regular thugs, mm-hmm. right? So this is kind of weird.
2: Yeah, there's gotta be there's gotta be a piece to that puzzle that we just don't have yet,
0: mm-hmm. right? Because
2: I don't I don't think that like they just ran off into the fearscape to never be heard from again. Like I have to imagine that they're gonna they're gonna show up again, right? Especially since you like you pointed out, they were alluded to at least somehow in issue one.
0: they weren't even they weren't even just alluded to. they were full-fledged characters. they They pressed yep. Henry and harassed him in the first: but they were the, the re- first they were
2: the real life people though, right?:
0: Yeah, or, yeah, that's the thing. You're saying that these aren't the real people, right?
2: You, well, that's I guess my question is right. like, are are they those same thugs? Or are these characters, like, do they look like them for a reason?
0: Because, yeah, I'm looking at the, the art again. Uh, I read this, as you said, a while ago, too. And it looks like they change forms when they walk back into the Fearscape. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they go back to that purpley form. Because at the end of issue two, he's supposed to lead them to the. Uh the gate of the grave of the poets but instead he goes back into the real world and that's where it sort of alluded that oh it was such a good idea for you to have brought him into back into your world and then so they were trying to make the jump from uh henry's world back into the fearscape so then they can go and enter the grave of poets unbound by the greatest fear
0: i think right very, very interesting. Yeah, I love, I love where this is going because, like you pointed out, I think it was Pete, um, that, that they sort of, in killing this greatest fear, robbed him of the moment mm-hmm. to, to kind of do that. But he was never going to do it anyway. No. You know, like he's, he's not, he is not a brave person. He's not a person who's going to um, handle his own business. You know, or or
2: or risk anything to himself for anyone else,
0: right? Um, And then I I love how after that he ends up becoming this super popular writer and everything, but clearly that fear is still present when he sees Arthur, Um, who he you know he robbed obviously of the work. I I just man, this is such a good looking book. It's so well written. Uh, Andrea Moody is doing a fantastic job on on art with this book. Um, just the whole sequence with the greatest of all fears. I thought that looked excellent. And then later on when he ends up fighting and killing the muse, uh, which was the high point of the book, I thought that that was done perfectly uh, from an artistic perspective.
2: Oh my God. Yeah. Just like the the tension... In that scene, you Mm -hmm. know, and like just how like uncomfortable it was and how it didn't uh, it didn't serve to make like Henry seem powerful at all. You know, like he kills this person or not person, I guess, but he kills the muse. But, you know, generally when you see someone murder someone else, it's to convey strength you know or dominance you know and uh it it conveys his weakness and his cowardice and 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 the the true like ju- like it made me feel uncomfortable and like it made me revile at him you know and i never I never liked Henry in terms of thinking he was a likable character or a sympathetic character or any of those things, but I did find I did find him amusing and now I feel differently about him. Now it's like uh, just this uh, this utter feeling of disgust, you know and that like he's a like I, I, before I called him a sniveling little shit. <laughs> and that's, like, how I feel about him, you know? Like, he he reminds me of, like, one of those characters in, like, Game of Thrones or, like, even, like, The Walking Dead where there's a world that's built on uh, power and honor and bravery, right? And he's one of those people who is surviving on his wits, but you can't even admire him anymore because the things that he's done are just so grotesque that, like, you just, like, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, you can't even respect his game, yeah. you know, or respect his position or respect his power or respect, like, the way that he resolutely makes this deci- right? Like, he's, he's in no way a sympathetic or admirable character at all. And yeah. uh, that's really cool. Like, that's such a cool turn to see this character that I was like almost rooting for because it's like watching him stumble his way through these situations It's kind of just like wow like what the fuck like this is it's it's like a it, it was like a comedy of you know of just watching this gross guy kind of make these mistakes but somehow fall through it you know and now it's just like I just want to see him get his comeuppance right you know whatever that means at this point
0: that's the thing about this. Um I thought that this was supposed to be a book about uh you know a guy who's kind of kind of shady, you know, willing to bend the rules, but not necessarily go too far. And um he has gone too far now. Yep. Yeah. So how does that how does the book progress now that he's done this because um he can't be redeemed, can he? No, you know, like he's I don't murdered. think
2: so. I, yeah, like, and not only is he a murderer, like, I think the the way that Ryan has subtly given us more information about his history with Arthur over time has made Arthur seem more and more and more pure. Right. And genuine. You know that like he was supposed to be the hero that they needed in the Fearscape because he is this genuinely good man, and he's yep. not he's not just a great storyteller, he's a good guy. you know, like we get the story that like Arthur was essentially an orphan, and he was Arthur's you know this huge fan, and his books meant so much to him, and Arthur took him under his wing and not only like gave him advice, but like adopted him and raised him as his son more or less. And that he loves him like a son. And that even when he stole from him, he wanted to come and congratulate him on his success. Not hold him accountable. Not embarrass him. Nothing. You know? He wanted to just, oh, I have a lucid day and I want to see Arthur. You know? Because he loves him. And Arthur has nothing but contempt for him. You know? He's jealous of him. He stole from him. He doesn't appreciate what he's given him, and in his twisted mind the 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 or not his mind, but his twisted version of reality that he wants to sell us on. Arthur is some fucking hack.
0: Who you know? <laughs> Wait, doesn't... Arthur's not a hack. Henry is.
2: No, I'm saying in Henry's version. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. yeah. In in Henry's from his perspective, uh, in yeah. his telling of events, Arthur's some fucking hack who doesn't deserve the ad- admiration and accolades that he's received. Sure. And Henry's the real artist, you know? And I, I think, honestly, like you said, like, where does the story go from here? I think we're going to see this character get worse and either win and we'll feel shitty about that or or get, or get justice. And I wonder which it's going to be, and I'm interested. Because I think, if anything, I feel like Henry, Henry more and more seems to me like the... Uh, the armchair commenter, you know, the the keyboard warriors out there who <laughs> tear down authors and say, oh, your fucking your work is trash and I could do it better if I tried. You know, if I actually if I actually tried to write, I'd be so much better than George R.R. R. Martin. You know, or I'd be so much better than Grant Morrison, you know. Their stuff's so pedestrian, you know, like I feel like that's that's who he is. That's who yeah. he represents. He's that fucking entitled piece of shit who thinks he could do better, but has never lifted a pen a day in his life. And guess what? When he does, it sucks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh Watchmen? Yeah, I wrote that in like on my free time. It's whatever.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's who he is. That's his guy. That's the guy he is. He's this fucking self-important, self-aggrandizing loser.
0: Right. Yeah. Um. I. I just. I love that. I. I think this is a really interesting character, and and I. He's unique because we don't see protagonist characters go this far. Um, in, and in often. Being
2: and often when they do, they're, they're made out to be a badass. You know, like I think of like Walter White, right? Where he's a character you have sympathy for and then he becomes a monster. But you're like, but he's a cool monster. He, Henry's not a cool monster. Henry's gross.
1: And I think the way he, he controls the narrative to try to stay in that positive light is the biggest like, point for me. Is like We know he's shitty. We, we're seeing him devolve. And he's like, no, guys, I swear, it's cool. Like, I'm still so um, great. <laughs> I'm still so great. You guys still love me. We all know this is happening.
0: It's fine. And what I love about that too is that I think that that speaks to the way that everyone's the hero in their own mind. Yes. So yeah, that's nobody's exactly the bad guy, right? That's exactly what's going on here. He's he's presenting Henry as a character who truly believes or is leading us to believe that he truly believes that he's doing the right thing in every situation
2: but interestingly enough we finally saw that break this issue you know like uh, him leaving this encounter with Arthur you can see his confidence in himself is shaken right. and the way that he's, he's uh, justifying his behavior is not as resolute as it has been before and then when he finally does this on truly unforgivable sin of murder that entire time he's like i what's the the phrase that's just repeating over and over again forgive me forgive me forgive me reader forgive me forgive me forgive me like he knows that that this is it that this isn't the thing you know what i mean and like what does that mean? Like, what's the narration in the next issue going to be like? You know, are we really, truly going to finally see him unhinge, or was it just in this moment of weakness that we see his true colors? You know what I mean? That is the the most exciting question for me going into season uh season four issue four <laughs> is uh what what version of Henry am I going to get today?
0: Yeah, I love where this where this issue leaves us. Um, I I think it was so so well done there's obviously a pivotal point for the book and um i definitely can't wait to see where it goes i had one last thing that i wanted to mention because i think it's really good um so the sort of solicit text for the book says the following having escaped the clutches of the fear escape henry henry tries to and then there's a dash aha you'll use my name i see but you won't let me speak That you would require solicit text for the third issue after the genre-redefining brilliance of the first two is nothing short of a personal insult. That's hilarious.
1: The (laughs) work speaks
0: for itself. Any tale of my exploits should not be hawked to those asleep at the wheel. And then he signs it, HH. Whoa, that's
1: funny.
2: Real talk, though? Like, that last sentence... I that is a hundred percent how I feel about this book now, like after this issue. you know, like uh when I tweet out this episode, I'm tagging Ryan and I'm gonna be like, well said. like it's that's exactly how I feel if you're if you're asleep at the wheel at this point, like you're you're missing out if you're not reading this book, it's really yep. good. It's that's really, true. really good. And Henry Henry is like a like you said, he's just a great character. He's really well developed and like, it's been an incredibly interesting ride to watch him devolve.
0: Now, I, I wanted to make another point. He signed himself HH. Now, who else signs themselves off as HH? Henry Hoover. No.
2: I, no, I was going to uh, – you're missing an H, Sean. It's Hunter Hurst Hemsley.
0: Eh. <laughs> it's hulk hogan uh, oh
2: shit damn it was a different wrestling joke the, the best
0: tweeter of all time hulk hogan <laughs> so the question in my he is mind
2: braggadocious
0: like a exactly heel. <laughs> is how much is henry henry actually supposed to be an allusion to hulk hogan tune in next time to find out <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness i'm really enjoying this book uh Congratulations to Ryan O'Sullivan and the rest of the team. You guys are killing it. And, um, yeah, another great issue.
2: Yeah, I, like, I've been in for this whole ride, but, mm, like, this issue was great, great work, you guys.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Can't,
2: can't wait for the next one.
0: Yep. If Phil were here, he would agree. Of course. Of course and
2: if he course. wouldn't, I'd kick him off the show. That's <laughs> Right.
0: <laughs> and the nuts. But you wouldn't have to. You'd kick him in the nuts. That's... That's That's assault, buddy. (laughs) All right. So, uh, we love this issue. You should go pick it up for yourself. If you have not been reading this book, it's well worth your time. Uh, If you do read it, let us know what you think. Also, we'd love to know your thoughts on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Definitely hit us up to talk about that. There are lots of ways that you can reach out. We are on social media at The Comics Pals. You can write in, as Matt did, to so The Comics Pals at gmail.com. And of course, on YouTube, you can drop us a like while you're at it. Leave us a comment with your thoughts on what we talked about on this or any other episode of The Comics Pals. Um, make sure to share this video with your friends and subscribe to our channel. All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you, and we love to interact with you guys. So make sure to reach out to us, and let's get that dialogue going. Uh, we've got our Klaus book club out. Uh, we've got our no, Aquaman... No, uh, Aquaman a- book club out. Aquaman book club is out. Thank you. Aquaman book club's out. Klaus is on the way. That'll be our Christmas gift to you all on December 25th. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then we're going to be talking about our next line of book club books for next year when that rolls around so we've got some really cool stuff cooking on that front as well um let's do some plugs pete
2: Thank you guys so much for joining us here for another episode of The Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me and Sean over on our sister show, The Video Game Pals, where we talk about video games, as you might have guessed. Uh, We've got another great show for you this week, and I'm sure we're going to be talking more about Smash Brothers. So uh, if you're a fan of games and you haven't checked out that fine program, I hope you'll go give it a listen. Uh, I'm also available on our Let's Play show, Pals Play, with uh, Thompson, but we have not been uploading lately because he and I were both sick and missed a couple of our recording dates. Uh, But we've got a great backlog of stuff over there, so if you're a fan of Let's Plays and haven't checked that stuff out yet, it would really be awesome if you did. Uh, You can also find me over at looppots.com where I'm the host of their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, and you can also find my news, reviews, and uh, rumors and stuff like that over there as well. So if you're a Nintendo fan and uh, you want to keep up with all the latest and Nintendo news and some of the stuff that's you know more minor that we might not talk about on the video game pals. You can go uh, follow my work over there as well, and um, I would uh, greatly appreciate it. And uh, but please, most of all, I really, really want to talk about Into the Spider Verse. So if you were a big fan of it uh, or if you hated it, come uh, hit me up at loud underscore pete on Twitter and uh, and talk to me about it because I am itching to talk about this movie.
0: Marco,
1: you can find me at Mr Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. I recently read Lock and Key, in the first volume, and loved it. Super, super cool book. I'm definitely going to pick up the rest. So uh, if anyone else has read it and wants to talk about it, please
0: do. Um, I was a fan. Awesome. And as for me, I am on Twitter and Instagram, at SeanSoulBox. Hit me up to talk about uh, whatever you want to talk about put the focus on you. And with that, we are the comics now signing off. Take care, guys. See you
2: next week.